This is CN2Go. I'm Amber Victoria Singer. Today on the show, a rally for crime survivors, a bill combating voter fraud, and a report on why the number of Black Major League Baseball players is declining. But first, for many people, playgrounds are an iconic part of being a kid. But not every child has equal access to a safe place to play. Up until last week, 5th through 8th graders at Loma Linda Elementary School didn't have a playground. There was a soccer field and a basketball court, but the playground on the opposite side of campus was reserved for younger students. Every kid should have access to quality play spaces close to where they live and where they learn. That's Ayana Moore, Associate Director of Strategic Communications at Kaboom, a nonprofit that wants to end play space inequity. The important part of that is that they should also feel a sense of belonging and a level of safety at these spaces. The nonprofit doesn't just drop in and build whatever playground they think is best. They ask students to draw their dream playground. Fifth grader Daniel Chiago's design was incorporated into the build. I like drawing designs because my dad's uh, he is an architect, so he designs the buildings. Mm-hmm. But then I got excited because my class was like, that is so cool. And then before I knew it, I turned my paper into the principal, and then we got a meeting after school where we voted on the parts that should be on the playground. The closest playground to the school is about two miles away, across State Route 51. According to Kaboom, kids in lower-income neighborhoods or communities of color are less likely to have a safe place to play. The organization chose Loma Linda Elementary because of its distance from a good playground and its higher number of students of color. The school's principal applied for a playground grant last year. Once it was accepted, Kaboom connected Loma Linda with community business partner Fairytale Brownies. Kaboom matched the amount of money the business raised, which in this case was over $50,000. Fairytale Brownies co-founder Eileen Spidalny said she has a special connection with playgrounds. My partner and I met on the playground in kindergarten and still one of my best friends to this day. So it's just, yeah, free play opens kids' imagination and creativity that doesn't happen in the classroom. Some kids just learn and adapt better out there, you know, getting all their, mm-hmm. their energy out. Following the months-long planning process, it only took one day for over 100 volunteers to actually assemble the playground. It's blue and gray, colors the kids chose, and has a slide, a rock climbing wall, and a zip line. This Monday marked the first day that students got to play on the playground they designed. The interviews for this story were conducted by Cronkite reporter Lauren Cobley. For Cronkite News in Phoenix, I'm Amber Victoria Singer. Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice held their second annual rally at Arizona's state capitol on Monday. Cronkite reporter Roxanne De La Rosa spoke with a representative about advocating for victims and survivors of violence. Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice is an organization that assists victims and family members affected by violence. The group hopes to receive legislative support to build a full-service trauma center. House Bill 2612 seeks funding for this initiative. Democratic Representative Jennifer Longden was left paralyzed after being a victim of random gunfire nearly 20 years ago. She supports the bill. Community staunched my wounds and stabilized my spinal cord injury and then sent me home to figure the rest of it out. And the rest of it turns out to be the hard part. 
how to move through this world, how to exist in this world. According to advocates, everyone has their individual experience with trauma and grief, but with the right resources and support systems in place, victims and families can find a path to healing. Bill 2612 is on the way to the House floor. In Phoenix, Roxanne de la Rosa, Cronkite News. Combating voter fraud is a hot topic among Republicans, especially in Arizona. Cronkite reporter Kenny Rasmussen has more on a bill that could combat voter fraud. Claims of voter fraud and a lack of confidence in elections are fueling the introduction of a number of election-related bills at the state legislature. Staff, will you please introduce the next bill, which is HB 2691. Thank you. One bill that passed the Municipal Oversight Committee was House Bill 2691, a chain-of-custody bill that would punish voter fraud and carefully monitor the ballots. The bill would limit where ballot boxes are placed, limit hours to weekdays from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and require each ballot box to be carefully monitored. Representative Justin Heap, who introduced the bill, says it would restore voter confidence and explained how this would work under the bill. Some people are concerned about the voting machine, some people are concerned about the precincts, the tabulation centers. Mine simply deals with chain of custody and how we track where the ballots are sent, how they're tabulated. There was pushback from the Arizona Association of Counties. Jen Marson, the executive director, spoke against the bill, saying the bill's proposed tight chain of custody is unnecessary. A lot of this we already do, right? And more seals and additional chain of custody is not our issue at all. For us, the the issue is the devil in the details. Marson also opposed the use of words like voting location supervisor, which she said is not a used term, as well as voting irregularities that I mentioned, and then we definitely would prefer a definition of voting irregularities. Um, having served as a poll worker and a troubleshooter, there's a myriad of things that can happen. Are all of them considered voting irregularities? I can give you examples. Marson, despite not favoring the bill as it was written, liked the idea of voting transportation records. She said if the bill is changed, the counties may support it. No Democrats on that committee voted for the bill. Representative Laura Tarek specifically criticized House Republicans for not discussing the bill with Democrats prior to the conference. For this bill and future measures, I would encourage anyone sitting across from me on the dais uh, to reach out to the Democratic members on this committee in advance. Despite pushback, the bill passed out of committee and now makes its way past the majority and minority caucuses, appearing to be currently eligible for further consideration. Kenny Rasmussen, Cronkite News. In the early 1990s, black baseball players made up roughly 18% of all major leaguers. Now, only 7% of the league is black. Cronkite sports reporter Jake Brown found out what caused the shift. MLB used to be headlined by black ball players such as Hall of Famers Derek Jeter, Ken Griffey Jr., and Cy Young Award winners C.C. Sabathia and David Price. Since then, black participation in Major League Baseball has dwindled due to the changes in the inner cities and suburbs. Baseball is also an expensive sport to play, and there are considerable disparities between the average net worth of black and white families. Outfielder Billy Hamilton is a member of the Players Alliance, 
The organization goes into black communities and introduces opportunities to young black ball players. They got to want it, they got to have a desire to do it, and then like by us just playing every single day and then continue to, to try to be great and like just showing these guys that, that there is a possibility to be at the next level. The goal, according to Hamilton, is to help the kids to understand that there is a future for them in baseball. All-star shortstop Tim Anderson says he feels special to be a part of the 7% of African-American players in the major leagues. Uh, to be right there in the middle of a, a low percentage is such a, uh, it means a lot. So I'm just going to continue to keep, you know, keep going and, uh, you know, keep putting on and keep, you know, representing, uh, you know, being a, the, the best version of myself uh, unapologetically and, uh, you know, continue to have fun. Anderson says the best way for MLB to attract more black players is to find the players that are marketable. You had those players in the 80s and 90s, you know, that was cool. That was, you know, rocking hats, hat backwards and, uh, you know, being real cool with chains out uh, because they bring something, you know, different to the game. They bring some cool, bring swag, you bring personality uh, and just, just ultimately, you know, making the game uh, better as a whole. According to Hamilton, MLB actively markets itself to the black community. They, they look and see how many that's percentage of there is in, 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 a, in professional baseball and they feel like, okay, now I want to go play football and basketball. I have a better chance. But so MLB does their job. You can learn more about the Players Alliance at playersalliance.org. I'm Jake Brown, Cronkite Sports. This week's edition of cn to go was hosted and produced by me, Amber Victoria Singer. We had help from Lauren Cobley, Roxanne De La Rosa, Alyssa Munoz, Kenny Rasmussen, and Jake Brown. You can learn more about the stories you heard here today by going to cronkitenews.azpbs.org. Once again, I'm Amber Victoria Singer, and that's all for CN2Go. to go